Hello everyone and welcome to our final episode of the season for the Big at the Back podcast. I'm Tom, I'm here after a very heavy Sunday with Matt who also joins me today for our penultimate Big at the Back episode or our ultimate Big at the Back episode. Matt, how are you? It's either the penultimate or it's the ultimate but it's whatever it is, it's an episode. Um, yeah, I'm all right, thanks. Um, as you said, it was a, a pretty interesting Sunday. A fair few beers were consumed and the football provided us plenty of drama. So a good day all round, unless you were a Liverpool fan or a West Ham fan for that matter. Yeah, I think we were both left a little disappointed by the last day. But overall, all we wanted was a fun day of football, so we can't complain all too much. Um, a note for everyone listening, we were due to do an episode with the North versus South guys, but unfortunately Matt is terrible and his wife pointed out to us all last minute that he couldn't make the date. So we're having to put that back to around mid to end of June, but that is coming and that's going to be a full season review using a lot of their formats, to be honest. Um, but yeah, we're really looking forward to teaming up with them and doing a podcast with those guys. Yeah, it was uh, completely my own stupidity and my inability to manage my own diary. So that is why I have a wife. <laughs> well, I'm glad she's managing it really well. Now, why don't we then, as the season is over, there's a lot to go through. We're going to dive into FPL and look at our weeks and how we did for the season. So I've finished game week 38 with a really good score. I won 86 points, which would be a brilliant score for most people. And it's actually done really well for me. So that's Shamichael obviously blanking, and then Trenton Cancelo blanking, but then seven from Reese James and nine from Rudiger in his last game. Then coming off the bench, I had 11 from Benton Kerr. And then I had 13 from Madison, some captain with uh, 12 double to 24, five from Saka, two from Foden, and 10 from Harry Kane. So the Spurs boys playing a big part in that, but overall a really good week. Now on fantasy, that's put me at an overall rank of 85,243. Considering there was a point where I was about 160,000 just a few weeks ago, I think I've done very well to claw it back. And I'm really happy to be ending in the top 100k, which was the goal at the very beginning of the season. So while it's disappointing having been about 20k at one point, overall, I really can't complain. I know you've done a bit better than me this year. So talk me through your final game week and your overall results. Yeah, it was. It has been a roller coaster the last sort of 10 weeks for you, isn't it? But like you say, to get back into that top 100k is definitely an achievement and a good finishing point at the end of the season. Similarly to you, I had Ramsdale in goal over Schmeichel, um, both of which blanked, so it didn't matter who I picked in the end after deliberating it and changing it last minute. Uh, Trent and Cancelo and Laporte all returning next to fuck all. Uh, but Reese James and Joel Matip both got me seven points apiece, so they're carrying me at the back. Uh, the midfield of Kulisevsky on 16, De Bruyne with six, Bowen with two, and Madison with 13, and Captain Kane up top with 10 doubled up to 20. So that gave me a final total for the week of 77, but I did take a minus eight. 
just because it was last week, I thought, why not? Let's do something a little bit stupid. Um, so finishing on 69 points for the week. Nice. Um, what better way to finish the season, you could say. That gives me a finishing overall rank of 31,684, which, to be honest with you, I will take that. Um, slightly disappointing not to finish in the top 30k, bearing in mind I was there or thereabouts for the last few weeks. Uh, just slipped out at the end. Probably if I would have picked the right captain. So if I had a captain Kulosevsky or Madison this week, that probably would have got me over the line. Or if I'd even started Nketiah over one of my players that, that blanks, maybe that would have been enough to get me there or thereabouts. But I'm certainly not complaining. Yeah, I was going to say, what was your what was your start of the season objective? What, what was your ambition when you started this season? To be honest with you, I, I, I don't. I never really set one. I just try and go out there and enjoy it. My main ones I focus around my mini leagues. Really, um, mm-hmm. the main two. There's one that's a money league, which I came second in, uh, and one which is our curry league, which is. At the end of the season, we go out for a curry in the bottom X amount of people pay. Uh, I came second in that one as well. Behind my brother in both of those leagues. So I think <laughs> next year, my goal has got to be to beat my brother. That's a great goal. Yeah, your brother's done very well this season. Um, yeah, I had very similarly. I uh, came second, obviously, in our league that we're in. Um, came second in my work league as well. So a little bit frustrating there. But overall, I was aiming at top 100k and... I can't really complain because that's where I got um, quite comfortably as well in the end. Despite looking like I wasn't going to do it three weeks ago, I think I've ended really strong. Just Problem. to give a little bit of context there, my brother, uh, his t- his finishing rank was 4,518. So not bad from him. We're, we're all right in the Higgins household at fantasy football. Yeah, it's a shame about your performance at every other aspect of life, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's well, I've got to have one thing. thing. I've got to have one thing that I can do. <laughs> well, why don't we dive in then? Because before we talk about the season as a whole, let's run through some of the games. Now, by the time they started, we already had a good buzz on. By the time they ended, we were probably quite pissed. So let's talk about the games that we watched in the pub and start. Let's start with the relegation battle. Now, I said before the game started, Burnley, I think, are going down. I think Leeds have enough to beat Brentford. And it turns out that I was exactly right because Leeds are coming back to get the 2-1 victory. Rafina and Harrison popping up when it mattered, despite having been absent for most of the season. So... Talk to me about the Leeds match. I know this is on the TV behind us. So did you catch the highlights? Yeah, it was a bit of a strange one, really. I, I was... I don't really know what to make of Leeds at the moment. Obviously, they've had a lot of injuries this year, which has really hampered them. It'll be interesting to see how they get on next year if they've got all their players back. But um, it was horrendous goalkeeping from Raya for Leeds' first goal, giving the ball away and then bringing down Rafinha... Uh, to give away the penalty, which he then converted. They let them back into the game, even though at the point that Brentford equalised, they were down to 10 men because they'd made all three subs and had an injury. Uh, They then equalised. It was a really good header from Ayer, not from Ayer, from whoever it was that scored it, I can't remember now, who then took his shirt off and got booked. And then about a minute later, fouled and got a second yellow to leave Brentford with nine men for the end of the game, which obviously cost them because Harrison... Mm -hmm. 
deflection off the strike, but he struck it so well on the half volley. Um, and then obviously they went absolutely wild, the Leeds fans. Uh, I do, I'm quite happy for Leeds. Um, they're obviously, I think they bring a little bit more entertainment to the league in general. So it's good to see them stay up uh, as opposed to a Burnley side that probably are one of the more dull sides to watch in the league. Yeah, I feel the same. And honestly, I think Leeds, from a footballing perspective, have something to give to the Premier League and something to bring. I think Burnley, every game is just going to be a snooze fest. You're never going to get anything exciting there. Whereas, admittedly, Rafinha's probably going, but with the heavy metal football that Leeds tend to play, I always feel like there's an entertaining game there. So I'm really glad they're staying up ahead of Burnley. Um, Yeah, Brentford is so on the beach. They were so on the beach for this game. It was unreal. And yeah, the, the red card did cost them, but they had nothing really to play for. And I think knowing Burnley are going down is probably enough for the Brentford fans. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they'll take some <laughs> solace in that. Um, I mean, we'll get onto this with obviously the Burnley game, but I just really hope that Val Vekor stays and gets a, a move and he's in the Premier League again next season because what are we going to do without him? Yeah, I, I don't know how we'll cope. Well, let's talk about... Newcastle beating Burnley 2-1 then because goals for Corne from Burnley and two for Wilson. Now, everyone was moving to bring in Ivan Tony for the last week of the season when Wilson was right there in front of us. I think everyone just completely missed a trick there and completely, despite him playing really well in game week 37, I think everyone really missed a trick with Wilson. I certainly did because he wasn't in my plans, but I looked back and thought, Oh, he absolutely should have been. So I know neither of us watched any of this game because it wasn't on at the pub, but Wilson was 58 in the BPS. So by far and away the best player on the pitch. What did you think of this game from the highlights? Well, one thing worth mentioning is that if you go back and listen to last week's pod, I did shout out Callum Wilson as uh, one to watch in this game. So I am... Well, regretting that I didn't follow my own advice and bring him in to start with, but yeah, he when he since he's come back from this injury, this latest injury, uh, he really has hit the ground running, and then obviously finished it off with two goals here. Newcastle obviously going to be a side to watch next year, with all the money that will come in. It'll be interesting to see if, well, how many of the starting eleven from this game will be in their starting eleven on the first game of next year, but. I think Wilson is such a good player. He has been for years. When he stays fit, he scores goals. So I think you I think you sort of called it as you thought Newcastle would be on the beach a little bit for this one. I was a little bit less convinced with Eddie Howe and the, the momentum they've had behind them. Um, I think Burnley didn't help themselves defensively, obviously giving away a very silly penalty um, just from an, an arm up from Collins in the box, which... Second time in as many games they've given away a penalty for handball. So when you're in those situations, you've got to help yourself, and they just didn't do that. I feel I feel a bit bad for I feel sorry for Nick Pope. I think he's a very good goalkeeper, and I think he will find a move to a Premier League club next year because he definitely deserves to be playing at the top level. Yeah, I agree. I think Nick Pope needs to move to the Premier League. Um, but Burnley, we've said it all season. They're just so so boring to watch. I I am glad to see them going, and I am glad to see them gone. Sorry, not sorry, Burnley fans, because you kind of suck. Um, <laughs> let, let's be honest. I love football, but Burnley, Burnley can fuck off. Lovely yeah. little in between this throwback there. 
Yeah, I think I also said that on podcast one as well. So we're coming all the way back around. Full <laughs> circle. <laughs> well, obviously that was the relegation fight. Um, other end of the table, the title fight. Now, we were watching the Man City game and honestly, Aston Villa going 2-0 up with Coutinho scoring. I was in dreamland. I was going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I was incredibly drunk at that point as well. So when the pub turned it over to the Liverpool game, and then we just see City score, City score, City score. It was soul-destroying. So I don't think I can really be objective about this game. What were your thoughts? Uh, City tried their best to bottle it, didn't they? I think they started They started fairly slowly. It took them a little while to get in. It, felt, it just felt like there was tension in the air and... It, you thought it would have been alleviated a little bit because obviously news gets round to the grounds. It's not like the old days when people would go in with their radios. Like Everyone's getting their updates on their phone for the other games. You think that when Liverpool concede in the third minute, that would probably that you'd think that would like bring the levels down. Everyone would be a little bit like breathe a sigh of relief, and then you've just got to go on and score a couple of goals. We said it when we were there. We were just hoping it would be a contest and it wouldn't be over in the first twenty minutes because then it feels like your day's a little bit wasted. But Villa, credit to them, defended really well. Tyrone Mings had one of the best games I've seen of him. He was putting yeah. everything on the line. And it was the full, the wing-backs, again, which undid them, uh, City, for the first goal. Dean Cross, Matty Cash getting in there in front of Cancelo and basically just walked onto it. Um, Fernandinho struggled again. Um, so he was a little bit... He's, he hasn't got the legs anymore. And obviously, we know he's, he's off in the summer. So... That, uh, he's obviously been a very good servant to the club, but I don't think they'll be too sorry to see the back of him now. But obviously, he had, he had to fit in with the defensive problems. But, I mean, after going two down, it was just another long ball, so that undid them for the second. But Pep made the changes. Gundogan came on. Sterling came on. Um, and they really made a difference. Zinchenko even on the left as well. They pulled the game as wide as they could with Zinchenko and Sterling. And, I mean, who'd have thought, like, Gundogan, when he sort of first came in, he was almost a bit lost in this City side. He didn't really have a place, but he's sort of making those late runs into the box and two goals to win you the league. What more can you ask for? It was Obviously, a throwback. you can ask for him to miss them. But... Yeah, I would have loved him to miss them, but it was a throwback to the Gunnigan we saw last season, really, where he was yep. filling in that attacking midfield role. And when, you're right, he and Sterling came on and did change the game for City. Um, Pep has got subs wrong, quite a few times when it's mattered this season, particularly in that Champions League semi-final when Pep basically bottled it. But I think he absolutely nailed it here. From the Aston Villa side, I thought Watkins had a very good game and also Dina and Coutinho both looked really, really, really good down that left-hand side. Now, we've spoken about Luca Dina a lot on this podcast <laughs> with the fondest words, but I thought he probably could hold his head high after that game. Um, Olsen, their backup goalkeeper, looked really good until the second goal went in. And when the second goal went in, it was a bit of a mistake uh, being beaten there. But I think his confidence just went after that. And after that, the third one was inevitable. Um, maybe you think differently, but that that's how it looked from my side. I think, I don't think he'll be too disappointed with the second one. It's It's been hit pretty well. He's placed it right in the corner and... He's, his momentum's taken in the other way because the ball's coming across from his right-hand side. 
So he's moving across to the left. It's gone back across him. Like he's then got to change his momentum back and go right. And it's gone. There's a few players in between him. He might not have seen it too early. So I'm not going to be too harsh on him. Goalkeepers union, obviously. I'm, I'm going to stand up for my keepers. But um, a nice little City-related stat for you that Kevin De Bruyne scored 15 league goals this season from an XG of just 5.91. Yeah, it's, it's like Son, isn't it? Like These really, really good players will always overachieve their XG. Um, and at Man City as well, you imagine, I expect KDB has much better chances than most other players and other teams. But that's not to say he's not taking them wonderfully and he's uh, really coming to his own in the last 10 games or so. If you want to talk about Hyun-Min Son, I'll give you a Hyun-Min Son stat. Oh, go on. <laughs> he, he has scored with 33.3% of his shots this season in the Premier League. One in three of his shots results in a goal. That is some return. That is an incredible return. And I always think with Son, these numbers just can't be sustainable. But he has sustained them. He's always had a really, really good shot to conversion rate. And I, I'm not sure how he hasn't had a season like this before, but... He's the ultimate. We should all have seen it coming, isn't he? Yeah, I think he's um, obviously one to watch for next season as well. I feel like we're always going to be looking at these premiums and how we can, who we can fit in, and how many we can fit in. Um, so it will be interesting to see how we how he kicks off next season. Um, but just on the subject of the title race, um, I think Man City overall deserved winners. Um, I was saw earlier, and it was. Uh, the amount of nights spent at the top of the Premier League for each team this season. Um, and Man City were well ahead with 168. Second was Chelsea with 70. Then Man United with 14. Wow. Then Spurs with 13. <laughs> then Liverpool with 11. Um, so, yeah, they, they were actually well down. But there were only two other sides that were top at any point this this season, so you've got City, Chelsea, United, Spurs, and Liverpool. Can you name the other two sides that were top oh, at any point this season? You're putting me on the spot here. Oh yeah. I think because I I think they had the early kickoff in the first week. West Ham. Uh, they are one of them, but they weren't because they were the early kickoff in the first no. week. Um, West Ham spent six nights at top of the league. And Southampton. No. Oh, no, I thought I had it. So the league kicked off on a Friday night, if you'll remember. Brentford. Brentford (laughs) beat Arsenal 3-0, so they spent that one night at the top of the league. Fantastic. That's a great stat. Brentford (laughs) Brentford fans will be happy after this season, I'm sure. Um, On the title race then, because we are looking at it, and we were saying before the pod started, how many times is 92 points enough to win you the league? There, It must be most seasons, right? So Liverpool with 28 wins from 38 games. They couldn't really have done much more, especially as they were 14 points behind at one point. Um, but yeah, beating Wolves 3-1, unfortunately it wasn't to be. And it was very frustrating because that Thiago flick would have been gone down in history as one of the greatest assists of all time if we'd have won the league. Um, but... Yeah, Liverpool got the job done in this game. Salah back on the score sheet before the Champions League final, which is great. Just a little bit deflated that we didn't get the league, which would have set us up for a really exciting Champions League final where we could have got the quadruple. Yeah, I mean, 
going the goal down early on obviously really hurt and sort of took the wind out of the sails a little bit. And and again, it was similar to the City game, really. It was just a long ball over the top. Canate completely misjudged it and the Jimenez was in behind and he just squared it across the Nito. But uh, to answer your question of how, how often would 92 points win you the league, uh, it would have won you the league last year. City finished on 86. Uh, but then the four years prior to that was you winning it with 99, then City with 98, City with 100 and Chelsea with 93. Uh, but then you go back to 15-16, Leicester won it with 81. Uh, and then the the next time anywhere near that total is back in 2004-05 when Chelsea got 95, which is the only other season uh, in history that 92 points wouldn't have won you the league. Um, so pretty much, yeah, you can, you can feel a little bit hard done by there. I think at the end of the season, Klopp will look back at games like uh, the defeat to West Ham, for example, at the London Stadium, maybe that, and a couple of other games where they conceded early goals um, and, and couldn't get back into the game. So I'm thinking it's, it's unfortunate, hard. really. I think I don't think either. It's it's one of those annoying ones because I think both sides were very deserving champions. Agreed, and I think City were the deserving champions. Honestly, I think they have been the best team this season. Um, in the Liverpool versus City League game. I think Liverpool couldn't consider themselves lucky to get a draw after that. City were better. Admittedly, we absolutely ripped them to shreds if you watch the set cup semi-final afterwards. Um, but in the league, I think we were lucky to get the draw out of that game. So, look, I, I think we're looking at the two best teams English football has ever seen. It's just unfortunate that they're there with each other. Um, but overall... Really strong season from Liverpool. Most of our players doing really, really well. Canate has still never lost in a Liverpool shirt. 28 games so far, 27 wins and one draw. That, that is, is a pretty record. impressive record. That is some record so far. So they, um, it's, it's not up there, not quite up there with Van Dijk's record at home. Um, but I'm, you never know. You might get there one day. It's weird as well because the way obviously the whole day went with City going two down, it was it almost surprised me when I looked back at it and thought at no point were Liverpool actually winning the league or top of the league. So mm-hmm. bear in mind they went two down. They got those three goals so quickly. They got all three of those goals before Liverpool got their second. Yeah, I think it was three goals in five and a half minutes. Well, when Liverpool go a goal down, which we have done quite a few times, I never lose the faith because I think we do have it in us to get the job done. We did it against Villa, we did it against Wolves. Um, so, yeah, when Liverpool go a goal down, I don't tend to panic at all. But and Southampton as well last week. Yeah, as well. But when City went two down, that's when I started getting really worried and excited. Obviously, it wasn't quite to be. However, well, I did what I must say, and kudos to whatever fan it was in the Wolves' end that managed to convince the whole stadium that City had uh, conceded a third goal. <laughs> <laughs> and all the Liverpool fans were cheering and going mental before it suddenly realisation hit them that, no, they'd just been trolled by some Wolves fans. Especially as you never get signal in Anfield as well. It's an absolute nightmare. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I've i got to say that was the football at its finest. Um, another race that was going on on deadline day was the race for top four. Um, it, it didn't turn out to be much of a race in the end. So let's go with 
we spoke about Son a little bit. So Spurs beating Norwich 5-0. And we did see the result coming. Um, Son missing out on the golden boot because Salah has more assists. But still performing really well, getting two goals. Kulisewski with two goals as well. Uh, and Kane with another goal as well. And second half of the season, Kane and Son have really been back to their best, I think. So talk to me about this game and what your thoughts were on it. Well, it turns out Son and Salah have actually shared the golden boot. They don't take assists into account, which which I thought was a little bit of a cop-out. I think it should go yeah. goals, then assists. But hey, I guess at the end of the day, the golden boot is about goals, not assists. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Spurs, this front three of Son, Kane and Kulisevsky have done wonders since Kulisevsky came in in January. It looks like they're extending his loan for another year. Um, and there's an obligation to buy at the end of that year if certain... Um, targets a hit and I obviously don't think they'll have any problem with that they'll be more than happy I think the obligation is 35 million euros which seems at this seems like a really good price um, from the form he's come in so I think I sort of heard he's got a goal contribution every it's less than 100 minutes I think it was like 97 or 98 minutes for every goal contribution since he came to Spurs so he's come in hit the ground running he seems to have really built a connection quickly with Son and Kane um, and to give you a little bit more info on that, since Conte came in, um, Hyungmin Son is the only player to have scored more Premier League goals than Harry Kane. So they're the top two since Conte was appointed manager. I mean, not surprising, is it? We were speaking uh, just before this, actually, in our group chat with a couple of Spurs fans in it. And the biggest thing, the biggest move they can make with their new £150 million investment is... They need to keep Conte. And Kulisevsky, great, he's been awesome. But Conte is a world-class manager. And Spurs are really not considered a world-class club or team at the moment. Very much could be, and on the prefaces, but they're not quite there yet. So keeping Conte is an absolute must for them to go to the next level. So if they do that, they'll be definitely top four next season, in my mind. Pushing top three, perhaps. Uh, depends what happens with Chelsea. But... Yeah, I, I think Conte is a really class act. And we said it when he came in. Um, but that will be the biggest move for Spurs they can possibly do this season. Yeah, he, he's been a revelation since they're coming in. And obviously, there's rumours of PSG potentially. We'll see what happens there with obviously the Mbappe debacle. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if he stays on or if someone else comes in there. But if they can lock Conte down for a little bit longer, that would be huge for them. Um, did you know that Spurs have qualified for the Champions League in the last seven seasons, only excluding the seasons where Jose Mourinho was employed as their manager? <laughs> I like the specificity of that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Where he was employed. So not when he was the manager, just when he was employed. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I like the narrative you're making, though. I, I'm a big fan of it, even though he's doing really well at Roma. Um on the fourth place battle, then it was kind of a nothing and a meaningless game given the Spurs results and given relegation is already sorted. But Arsenal beating Everton 5 1, uh, goals from five different players and four different assist givers from Arsenal, which I love to see. Um, but surprisingly, Cedric of all people getting man of the match, Martinelli getting one, Gabriel getting one, and Ketty getting one, and Martin Odegaard finally getting a goal. So, 
I, I guess this felt just like a nothing game. It felt like two teams that were defeated, but Arsenal still stamped their authority down and said to Everton, even though you're safe, you've got a lot of work to do. I will also point out that my expert insight on last week's pod where I said, if Everton have stayed up already, they could easily get turned over in this game. They made quite a few changes. Uh, like of Deli Alli started, uh, Van der Beek started, Begovic started in goal. So they gave they gave a few players a game that hadn't had games in recent weeks. But yeah, like when you've come from that high of the Thursday night and coming from two goals down and the all of the things around that, the pitch invasion, to then go again three days later it was always going to be very hard. Uh, and Arsenal just tore them apart at times. Um, Erdegaard's finish was lovely. Um, Cedric took his goal really nicely as well. So um, good finish for Arsenal. I think in the end, I think if you'd have offered them fifth place at the start of the season, especially after that first three games that they lost, uh, they, and with the young squad, they probably would have taken it. I still feel like they bottled it, though. I, oh, yeah, they they did bottle it. But like, really you, I think if you take it within the context of the season as a whole, I think they've had an all right season. I think people have... Uh, sort I of... don't. I disagree because if they'd have kept a Bumiang and Arteta wasn't such a douchebag with a Bumiang, they'd have got top four. And I think Arteta's cockiness and arrogance and whinginess has cost them top four. He's... I, I think he's got a lot to learn and a lot to do as a manager, personally. I'm not a huge fan of him at all. Uh, don't get me wrong, this was their best chance with no European football. It'll be interesting to see what their recruitment's like in the summer. Mm. Uh, and obviously, like they need to get another striker in. There's potential that Nketiah leaves, so yeah. they will be left without really a recognised striker. So, And then they've got to balance that with European football next season if they can... If say that we're talking this time next year and they finished fifth and had a half decent European campaign, then that's a lot more successful. Yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see on that. But yeah, I think I disagree that it's been a good season for Arsenal. I think it's been a bottle job season, particularly by Arteta. And I think he sh- his head should probably be on the chopping block, if I'm being brutally honest. Um, well, I think- if only he didn't sign a new contract about a month ago. Yeah, but I think that's just terrible management by the club. Um any other games worth talking about? I mean, Crystal Palace won, Man United nil. Um, you love to see it. I just don't think there's anything left to say when it comes to Manchester United. Um, look, they're, they're getting the new manager in. Uh, Eric Ten Hag may not be enough. They may need Eric 10,000 Hag. Um, but we'll have to wait and see how he does because I'm not looking forward to... I guess Man U just haven't been very fun to watch this season. I'm hovering my finger over the remove you from the stream <laughs> button for that. I thought you'd enjoy it. Um, I disagree. I think Man U have been fun to watch this season, mainly when they've been getting turned over, like when they lost 4-1 to Watford or when City destroyed them twice. I think that's very fun to watch. That is. And I, I trust me, I enjoyed the Liverpool games. But if I'm thinking... I want to go and watch a fun game of football. I think Man U last year, they had something. They had that attack of Greenwood, Cavani and Rashford. They had um, Luke Shaw bumming down that left, looking awesome. Bruno Fernandes getting, just being magical. Um, and they ended up finishing really well last season. But this season, there isn't a single game where I think they've come close to where they were last season. And they're, they're a shell of them, their former selves at the moment. So it's going to take... Uh, Ten Hag an awful lot of work to get them back to where they need to be. 
I think they need to realise that this isn't a quick fix now. It's it's a two three year project at least to to really get this club back where it where it probably should be. Yeah, and Ralph Ranić has been arguably the worst manager of the season because he has just been abs. He's made a terrible team objectively worse in every position. Um, now, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is the reason for their decline. He has a completely blank checkbook, went and signed the players he wants, spent as much as he wanted, spent more than anyone else, including City, and made them worse every single season. But, yeah, I think Ranić has been horrendous, and Manu would be mad to offer him a role at the club next season. The mad thing is they finished second last year, and then they went and signed Varane, Sancho, Ronaldo... And they've had their worst season in Premier League history. I think that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is 90% of the blame, but Ranić's another... Well, they're probably about 80-20, to be honest. Um, yeah, horrendous season for them. And I'm sure they'll want to forget it and move on. You've got to look at the players as well, though. Like They carry a, a big burden of that as well. Those mm-hmm. players should not be rolling over like they have been week in, week out. I think whether there's been some sort of revolt in that dressing room or there's factions in that dressing room, something isn't right and it needs to be weeded out. Well, Paul Scholes saying, I'm sure Greenwood wouldn't mind me saying that the dressing room... I think you find it was Lingard. Oh, Lingard, that's it. I'm sure Lingard wouldn't... (laughs) I don't think anyone's really talking about Greenwood. Well, there was talk about him coming back into training at one point. It was like, are you kidding me? um, But yeah, I'm sure Lingard wouldn't mind me saying that the dressing room is pretty horrible right now. Are you joking, Paul? Of course he'd mind you saying that in public, you idiots. That's Um, right, he's coming coming back home next season. uh, Yeah, there's talk of Lingard to West Ham. His salary will be enormous that he'll demand from you guys. Um, I don't know. I don't know how much he'll want, but obviously not having to pay any fee for him, you can sort of balance it off against that. Yeah, I think he is a mercenary, so he will rinse you for your worth there. Maybe worth it, though, considering how much you need the depth up front. Um, I know it pains you. Let's move on to Brighton. Oh, actually, before we do, a word on Crystal Palace. We've had a great season. Uh, we've I've loved watching them pay, play. They've been exciting. Patrick Vieira kicks who he wants. What a guy. I loved that song. Um, <laughs> fantastic from the Palace fans. What I will say is, how on earth has Wilfred Zaha scored 14 league goals this season? And I'm pretty sure I haven't owned him for any of them. <laughs> he's one of the players for me that just never scores when I bring him in. And as soon as he's out, he just goes on a run. I can't stand it. Yeah, I don't know why you just... You need to go next season. Either you own him all year or you don't own him at all. Because it will never work out for you. So you need to pick one and stick with it no matter what. That's how you've got to play it next season if we're looking at it from an FPL perspective. Yeah, and uh, also shout out to Palace for a clean sheet here. One of only two teams to keep a clean sheet on the final day of the season. Um, mm-hmm. Like I think Guaita made a couple of good saves, one from Cavani fairly early on as well. But uh, like we said, Man U were abject uh, and didn't really look like they posed much threat going forward. But um, Palace have had overall... A pretty good season themselves. Uh, I think they just about um, like twelfth place with the real overhaul they had in last summer. I was looking at them as one of the candidates to go down at the start of the season. Yeah, I thought they were going to go down, and they've been really, really, really very good. Um, and defensively as well, they've been excellent. They've only conceded 
46 goals. They've got a plus four goal difference compared to the teams around them. Newcastle, one, one point above them with minus 18 goal difference. Brentford, one below with minus eight goal difference. So I think Palace have, they're probably better than their position suggests, if we're being completely honest, considering how good the top of the table is. Yeah, I agree. My favourite um, goal-related stat from this season is that Man U conceded more goals than Burnley. Yep, which is fantastic. <laughs> Man U and Norwich, the only teams not to score in the final day of the season as well. Um, teams of similar quality. Exactly. Um, <laughs> worth chatting about any of the other games? We can go over them quickly. Bryson beating West Ham 3-1. Um, Don't want to talk about it. I <laughs> we're have to talk about it. Um, Antonio with the goal for West Ham, Gross, Veltman and Welbeck with the goals for Brighton. Uh, yeah, Brighton were the better team if you watch the highlights for this game, and I did watch the highlights because I knew you wouldn't want to talk about it. Um, I thought, actually, Pascal Gross looks really good, which is probably the only game this season he's looked really good, but I think they were, were deserved winners, unfortunately. Antonio's goal was a worldie, but I don't think West Ham looks like breaking through apart from that. Yeah, no, Antonio's goal was a fantastic strike. It was good for him to, I think, get him to the 10 goals for the season. Again, uh, he's the first West Ham player to score 10 goals in three separate Premier League seasons. Um, and I will also say again, I'm a genius. I remember me saying about Danny Welbeck last week, a goal and an assist. I backed him to score in our big goal scorer bet as well. I think I, I ended with eight out of ten goal scorers in the games. Um, ones who let me down? Uh, someone, the City one let me down. I think I backed Fosen. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, you were right. You did call Danny Welbeck. If only you had actually followed through with some of your calls, maybe you'd have got top 30k. Maybe. I mean, one, uh, I think. I probably had more terrible calls throughout the season than I've had good calls. I just remember the good ones. <laughs> that is reflective. Um, couple more games to chat about then. Leicester beating Southampton 4-1. Um, so as you say, the Schmeichel clean sheets got taken. Um, Vardy back again with a goal and an assist. Madison with a goal and an assist. Both of them looking strong, but no Iheanacho makes me sad. Well, I think... When Vardy's back fit and firing, it's very hard for anyone else to get into that side, isn't it? But mm. I think Leicester have sort of really finished the season on a high. It could have easily tailed off. They didn't really have anything to play for. They went out of the Europa Conference League. Um, but getting Vardy back fit for these last few weeks, it sort of really put the new impetus into them. Uh, Madison and him and Barnes, the three of them in the last sort of few weeks of the season have really kicked on another level. So it's always good if you finish the season on a high and you can try and carry that momentum over uh, through the summer and into the next year. Yeah, agreed. Um, anything to say about Southampton? They've been on the beach for a while. They haven't cared for a while. They have a real job to do uh, over the summer in order to get themselves back into contention because they almost got pulled into the relegation fight this season. Yeah, it's strange because I think Ralph Arsenal was quite a good coach, but it's just yeah. this sort of second half of the season has really died off for them. Um, uh, Four in a row. Yeah, and like they haven't really had any goals coming from anywhere. If you look at Broyer and Long, like and like um, Armstrong, like there's really not much there in terms of firepower. 
Mm. I think they've got a. They need a bit of an overhaul in the summer, to be honest with you. Some some like if they need to keep hold of James Ward Prowse, that's the one thing. Um, if they can keep hold of him, because it seems at the moment they lose a good player every year, which is really gutting their squad. Yeah, and um, they never seem to replace them very well either. Um, they have a minus 24 goal difference for the season, which to put into context is worse than Everton. It's worse than Burnley. It's worse than, oh, it's worse than Manchester United. And that's how... That's you, when you know it's bad. Yeah, that's how you know it's really bad. Um, so, yeah, really, really, really forgettable season for Southampton. And I think Hassan Hootsel has got a job to do. But Leicester finishing strong, as you said. Um, last game to chat about then, I think it's the last game. I hope I haven't missed one. Um, yeah. But it's Chelsea beating Watford 2-1. Uh, Reece James playing, not much to say. Alonso not playing is interesting. I wonder what Tuchel's thinking there. Is Alonso on the way out? Uh, I think so. I read something from Fabrizio Romana earlier today. Uh, I believe he's off to Barcelona. Ah, okay. Everyone seems to be going to Barcelona now, don't they? Isn't um, isn't no Rudiger's going to Real Madrid, isn't he? Rudiger's uh, going to Real Madrid, yeah. Yeah, uh, looks like Barcelona are going to be getting Marcus Alonso. Um, so we can go back to Spain and kill someone else. Murder several more children. <laughs> um, Rafina is the other one. He's going to Barcelona, isn't he? From Leeds. Sounds like it, yeah. Odds on at the moment. So what, what a change of scene that is from fighting relegation in Yorkshire to title chasing. Uh, in the top six, top six, maybe for Barcelona. Um, oh, yeah, god, I hate Barcelona so much. Um, <laughs> but yeah, not much really to say about this game. Watford fought in it, to be fair. Watford fought more than I expected them to. Um, but I we all expected them to lose this game against Chelsea. Um, so not really much else to say there. The most surprising thing is they scored a goal, um, but. <laughs> Did you know that Chelsea are the first team in Premier League history to not be trailing at half-time in any game this season? Wow, I did not know that. That's an excellent start. You've picked yeah. up some good ones for this, Paul. I'm feeling quite underprepared now. <laughs> to be fair, normally, what, like as long as one of us do something, that's enough yeah. for me. Yeah, uh, clearly I've got to get my get my game back um cool well that's all the games that we've touched on we actually have a couple more things we wanted to go over as it's our last uh season fpl pod so i think let's start with some big at the back awards for players and i think there's a couple of football ones to start with that we can have a discussion over and debate then some fpl ones and the first one is our player of the year. Now, KDB won player of the year, as you'll have seen from some of the retweets on uh, the Big at the Back Twitter that were done by me. I think that's absolutely ridiculous because it's recency bias. KDB is probably the best player in the league alongside Salah, but he's only actually performed for the last 10 weeks or so. I think if you're looking at player of the year, it's got to be the full year. So, in my mind, Salah's the only choice that should be getting player of the year. 
Um, Son also deserves a shout as well. Ridiculous that he wasn't even nominated for the actual Player of the Year awards. But what were your thoughts? Am I completely deluded? Am I completely got Liverpool bias glasses on? What do you think of it? I think um, Salah and Son are the two outstanding choices. I think it's hard, obviously, because like players in that sort of position don't really get the due that they deserve. But if you look at someone like Rodri, I think he's had a very good year. Um, you could also throw in people like Rudiger. Um, so I, th- I don't think more defensive-minded players get the sort of praise that they deserve when it comes to uh, player of the year questions. But I, I think I wouldn't I wouldn't argue against Salah or Son. But I think if you look at Salah, most goals, most assists uh, in a team that's not uh, gone very close to winning the league, has won the FA Cups, won the League Cup, and is in a Champions League final coming up as well. I think Salah probably edges it. Yeah, I agree. I don't even... KDB really angers me because I don't even think he's been City's player of the year. I think Rodri and Bernardo Silva over the course of the season have had a much bigger and long-term impact. And that is because KDB has been injured, but even when he was fit at the start of the season and he was fit for the first third, he did nothing in that first third. So, yeah, I think it's huge recency bias, the KDB narrative personally. Yeah, I think I think he ended up playing in thirty games, but some of them weren't full games. But yeah, I think it's it, it definitely is recency bias. This last sort of seven eight weeks has really been when he's come into his own, um, and it just so happens that that's been when he was really needed, and that's pushed them over the line to win the league. Yeah, which is a huge achievement to be fair. But if I'm looking at player of the year, I'm looking at it on a year basis, not just a impact basis. Has to be the way. Yeah, so the next award you can start on this one. So I think there's two outstanding candidates for this, and that's flop of the year. So for me, um, and I have a reasoning for this, on the Pretty Bubbles podcast, we did some season-long predictions at the start of the year, and one of them was top scorer. And my prediction for top scorer was Romelu Lukaku. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought he was going to come in and dominate the fences. He started off well, especially against Arsenal in one of his, I think it was in his first game. Um, but he's been missing for large parts of the season and now can't even get into the starting 11 for the most part. So he is my flop of the year. Yep, he was my probably my first choice as well. But I think there's another name that deserves mentioning and that's Jack Grealish because he hasn't played in any of the important games for City. He hasn't nailed down his place at all. He was on the bench in the Champions League semi-final. He didn't even come on in the last game. I think for a hundred million pounds, proven Premier League midfielder, he has been a flop for Manchester City. That being said, I agree with your assessment. I think Lukaku should be winning the Flop of the Year award for all of the reasons you stated. I just think Grealish's name deserves to be in there as well. Yeah, it's been a weird one, hasn't it? I think... How much of it is his own fault? Uh, how much is it is a lack of game time? Um, it could be interesting. I don't think anyone really expected Bernardo Silva to have the season he did. Um, so maybe that sort of had a knock-on effect on the amount of game time Greenwich can get. It'll be interesting to see what happens next year. Will he get more game time? Because you've still got to look at the likes of Sterling. His future's a little bit up in the air. Bernardo mm-hmm. Silva, again, is getting a little bit older now. So I feel like Next season could you could be when you see Grealish really come in and, and sort of make that spot on the left hand side of City's attack his own. Yeah, we'll hold out a small amount of hope for him. Um, next award is our favourite FPL team to invest in. 
So this is what team we've enjoyed it enjoyed owning from an FPL standpoint this season. Um, now I'm going to sound really biased here for us, but I think there's two teams for me, and that's Liverpool and West Ham, which are coincidentally who we both support. But West Ham, I think, have been a joy to own. Antonio owned at first bit. Uh, I owned, I've owned two fouls successfully as well. Uh, and of course, Jared Bowen has been sensational, but also Ben Rama as well. I've owned quite a lot of West Ham assets over the year, and I've never been disappointed by them. Liverpool, I've owned Trent and Salah basically all season. Trent's the only player to survive the whole season for me. Um, and every Liverpool asset has been spectacular this season. I think from an FPL standpoint, they're my two standouts. Who would you have out of those two as your winner for this award? Or is it someone completely different? Uh, it's probably between them two. Um, like you say, West Ham in those first sort of month or two when it was Antonio, Ben Rama, a lot of people had Soufal or Creswell. Um, then Bowen really came into his own as well. And he's been had really high ownership throughout the second part of the season and the form uh, has rightfully seen him get his England call up today. I think I need to, like, especially in the second half of the season as well, I'd like to mention Spurs just because of Kane, Son and Kulisewski. That front three have been very good. Uh, and there was a little bit of period as well where you could have both wing-backs in there if you only had one of the, the front three uh, when Conte came in. Um, obviously, Liverpool and West Ham for me are the two uh, as well. I think... I'm going to sound really biased here. I think West Ham were the more surprise package because everyone expected... You'd have Trent, you'd have Salah, and you'd probably have someone else in there as well. I don't think at the start of the season anyone was really saying a triple up on West Ham is a good shout. Um, in the end, it was more of just blowing towards the end of the season. Um, so it depends on how you value it. Are you looking at who was more surprising and a pleasant ownership? Or I think in general, Liverpool were stronger. They were the more fun team to own because they are so much better. I mean, it, it's our choice on how we do it. I'm tempted to go West Ham because I think they they were a more differential pick as well. I think everyone owned two or three Liverpool players all year, whereas not everyone owns Bowen for the big moments, not everyone owns Ben Rama for the big moments, not everyone owns Antonio for the big moments. So I think West Ham, for me, have been a slightly more fun team to own, and I think they are my favourite FPL team this year. I'll take that's, it. That's from a Liverpool fan. So um, moving on then. Favourite FPL player, and as tempted as I am to say Trent Alexander-Arnold, because I, I think he's been tremendously fun to own all season for everyone, and everyone has owned him. But I, I again, have to be biased towards you, and I've got to say Jared Bowen for me. I think, yeah, he's he's right up there for me. Uh, are you sure I can't tempt you into a, an Armando Broger? <laughs> I mean, it, it was fun for banter purposes, but no. Uh, Raul Jimenez, anyone? Yeah, go on, then why not? <laughs> um, I think Jared Bowen, 200 plus points this season. I can't remember what he ended on, but over 200 points for a six and a half million midfielder. He's going to be about nine million at the start of next year, but I'm still going to own him because I think he is tremendous. And he's just got his England call-up. It's so well-deserved. He should be starting on that right-hand side. Yeah, 206 points for someone that, like you say, started at 6.5. 
went up to as high as 7.1 at one point, finished at 6.9. He's obviously price came down as after he got that injury. Um, it'll be interesting to see where he starts out. I could see it being around the 8.5 mark, yeah. um, but I'd be still be very tempted to have him in. Um, that I say that West Ham will probably have a, a, an opening set of fixtures of Liverpool, City, Chelsea, something like that. Didn't West Ham, West Ham have really tough opening fixtures this year? As well, now, this year we were all right. So, this oh, year it was Newcastle, well. Leicester, Palace, Southampton. But in general, we always get awful first fixtures. It's so, always it might change. yeah, it's we always get you early on. <laughs> yeah, I remember watching several Liverpool West Ham matches with you in the first match of the season. Um, okay, fantastic. Well, the next award that we've got down, and I'll let you go first on this, is your worst FPL team, one that you hated owning or hated the most? It's, it's a really tough one because, like, there's there's not many teams that I've owned that I really hate, but some are just very disappointing. Um, Palace, maybe, for me, I just, they've had a good season, but I've always seemed to be on them at the wrong time. Um could even throw Arsenal into the mix as well um, because they had a good start with the likes of Ramsdale and Wyatt. But again, it just I just always seem to be on them at the wrong time. And I'm going to be a little bit rogue here. Um, my pick is Chelsea. Ooh. Because I... as much as he did me well, Reese James, I feel like there were large parts where I was on wrong Chelsea assets at the wrong time and I was always on the painful end of the Chelsea spectrum. I had that as well with Chelsea. Um, I always seem to get the wrong assets at the wrong time and it always seems to cost me. Reese James, I didn't own for a single one of his big hauls all season. Um, oh no, I had him for 13 points at one point, but honestly, I've missed out on so many Reese James boats. However, I think owning Alonso at the right times has helped lessen the damage of Chelsea for me. I think on most annoying team to own, I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree on Arsenal because I've owned Ramsdale, Smith Rowe, Saka, and Wyatt all at the right times. But a team I seem to have gotten horribly wrong all season is Manchester City. Because I've owned Cancello pretty much all season, but then I've just been on the wrong assets at the wrong time and it has absolutely brutalized me. KDB's massive haul in the double. You had um, Bernardo whenever when he was scoring goals for fun for about six weeks in a row. I didn't own him for any of it. I had Foden instead. When Foden went off earlier in the Brighton game, I just transferred him out. Um, and Laporte, I haven't owned for any of his big returns either. So I think Man City, I've like you with Chelsea, just been on at the wrong time all season. It seems to have cost me quite big time. Yeah, to, not, to be honest with you, I was very very briefly considering City. Then I remembered captaining Kevin De Bruyne when he scored four goals and I thought, I cannot overlook that. <laughs> yeah, uh, that that was a real cruncher for me, I think. Um, the worst FPL player then. Uh, there's a few options here. I'm going to say, for me, it's been Josh King. <laughs> <laughs> As much as I rip on Luca Dina, I, I still love him because he has done me well as well. Josh King brought me nothing but turmoil. So I think Josh King, 
for me, thank you for going down to the championship. Please never come back. And if you come back, I'm not going anywhere near you in fantasy. Um, Vic Horst, I actually, looking back, he got me some good hauls. He got me a 10 points and 8 points. Josh King just got me two every week. One or two every week. And I owned it for about 12 to 13 weeks. So for me, it's Josh King 100%. Well, I'm going to meet you in Watford. Uh, because for me, it's Emmanuel Denny, who <laughs> I missed all of his goals when he had that run around November, December time. Um, in fact, one of which was the night before my wedding when we were out for a few drinks and he scored in that game. And then a little bit after that was when I actually brought him in and he did fuck all. So we're going for a Watford front two of our worst players of the season. Fantastic. Um, last bit to end on then. And we're going to have a bit of fun here. We've both written down 10 players that we're really excited to own next season or at the start of next season. So I will list off my 10, then uh, you can... Or actually, let's talk them through. So my number one is Luis Diaz. Um, He's had six months to settle. He's going to be starting in Klopp's front three. I think he's a really exciting player, and I'll definitely be owning him at the start of next season. So who's your number one? Uh, I don't know if he's not my number one, but seeing as I've got him as well, I will cover off Luis Diaz now as well. He's in there. Like you say, he's really hit the ground running in his first six months at Liverpool. And like you say, I think he'll be a really consistent presence in that front three next year. So depending on his price point, it's going to be a little bit more expensive than he came in at, I'm sure. But he would still be a very good way into that Liverpool front three, provided he gets the game time. I think he will. The next one for me is... I'm sure it's predictable, right? But Haaland, I think he'll be absolutely monstrous in City, and he is a goal machine. I could seriously see Haaland coming into my team and just getting the armband every week for 38 games. That's how good I think he is. Now, there may be some adaption time he needs to get used to City, but he's going over there right away. So hopefully, well, not hopefully, it's terrifying, but (laughs) I'm sure he'll be absolutely chomping at the bit to get going and City with Haaland are a terrifying prospect. Yeah, it's he's down in mine. He's like you say, you could easily see him being a captaincy choice for most of the season. Like thirty goals, you you wouldn't be surprised by that at all with the creativity of the Bruyne and Grealish and Silva and it, all of those players setting him up. Um, the amount of goals they score without a real out and out number nine is scary enough. If they bring in the best, pro- probably the best out and out number nine in world football, him and Benzema are probably the top two. Um, like that's a very frightening prospect for defenses in the Premier League. So uh, he will definitely be in my team at the start of next season. And the good thing they've done is as well, a lot of the times when you get big signings in. It often comes in late in the transfer window, so they haven't had time to settle. He's already been announced. It's done. So he's going to have all summer working, all of pre-season working with the new team, and he will probably be ready to hit the ground running from game one. Yeah, totally agree. Um, I'm going to go really rogue here with my next one. A player I'm excited to own next season, because I think you'll have fit centre-backs, and I think you'll be defensively a lot stronger, is uh, is Creswell. That's as long as Kurt Zuma isn't in jail. I was going to say, uh, we, we discussed this today. I think it's unlikely he's in jail. It's more likely community service. But I think Creswell, with a solid West Ham defence, could. I remember him last season being amazing for us. I am really excited to wear Aaron Creswell again. So 
he is definitely in my looking forward to own list. Well, this is the first one that you've said that I haven't got. So I'm going to go for one that I don't think you will have. And if we're talking about rogue shouts, this is a rogue shout. I think under new management, Jaden Sancho is going to be a baller next season. Oh, that's a, I, I like it. I don't have him, but I like it. Um, is he, he'll be about 10 million though. And when you consider the other options at 10 million, I don't think I would own him. Maybe I'd be wrong not to own him, but I don't think I'll end up owning him. Uh, especially as he's not guaranteed the starts as well. So it may be a way, I think it'll be a way to see. I don't think I'll have him from the beginning. I think well, he, was, he was at 9 million this season, so I can't see him going up any higher than that. Potentially then, but if, if he's in the same price as Bowen, then would you honestly say he, he's going in your team over Bowen? Probably not. No, Bowen with 200 FPL points this season. Um, Jared Bowen is on my list as well, by the way. He's, he's definitely there. I, he's on my list. Of course he's on my list. Yeah, I think we've both loved owning him this season. Um, so there's not really much more to say there. He's an awesome footballer. Uh, yeah, he's just... Uh, I, hope he, I hope he can continue this form into next year. I hope... I don't think he's going to be sold. I don't think he'll be moved on. I don't think he's pushing for a move or anything like that. Potentially in a year or two, you could very likely see him going on to a Champions League side. Um, I just... My hope for him next year is he makes that World Cup squad. Yeah, uh, I totally agree. Um, we've done four each. This is getting a, a over the hour mark. So for the sake of time, should we just do one more each? And I'll go on then. Um, go on. You, after you. I will go with one who we did briefly speak about earlier. Alexander Mitrovic. He's back in the league after <laughs> scoring a hatful of goals. Uh, breaking the goal-scoring record for a 46-game season in the second tier of English football, um, playing under a manager that's actually playing him in the right position. So, again, could be a very good option in that sort of 7.5 to £8 million striker next season. Uh, I think Fulham looked very good, obviously ran away with the league. If he can find his form in the Premier League again, he will be a very good shout for them next season. Totally agree. One, I love Mitrovic. I'm, my dad's a lifelong Fulham fan. I've gone to see them at least five times a season for the past 10 seasons. Um, however, Fulham have just lost Carvalho, and Carvalho basically is a huge part of that attack and creating stuff for Mitrovic. It's whether they can effectively replace him by the time they get into the Premier League. Um, but yeah, I love it. I love Mitrovic as a shout. Uh, my fifth and final one is one we owned earlier this season is Ben Chilwell, who, fingers crossed, will be back next year. And he was a brilliantly fun player to own earlier this season. We were gutted when he got injured. So I really look forward to being able to own Ben Chilwell again. Yeah, I must say that's a name I'd completely forgotten about. It was nowhere near the front of my mind. So if he can find that form he had again before his injury, he could be a fantastic shout again for next season because he falls right into the big at the back mould. Exactly. Brilliant. Well, that's a positive note to end on. Anyone that has listened this long, thank you. It's a longer episode than normal, we know. 
Now, we are going to be continuously pumping out bad football content over the summer just because neither of us have much else to do. So stay tuned. We can be found on Twitter at Big at the Back. And Matt, where else can you be found? You can also listen to my terrible West Ham-based opinions on the Pretty Bubbles podcast. Uh, we'll be recording tomorrow, actually, um, about our season as a whole um, and where we see us going over the summer. We'll also be covering quite a bit of the England content over the next couple of weeks, as England obviously have their Nations League game, so we'll be talking about that. And obviously, we'll have all the transfer news over the summer. Um, you can find me personally at Higgins92. You can find Tom at Tom Madden 92 um, where you can hear our individual terrible opinions. But let's be honest, most of it just goes on the big of the back feed anyway. Yeah, we're not exactly shy about our terrible opinions. Brilliant. Well, thank you all for tuning in. We'll be back in either next week or the week after. And as I said, we've got the big end of season review with the North versus South guys coming up in about a month's time. So stay tuned for that as well. Until then, enjoy the break. <laughs>